takes us. We're going to begin tonight looking at scripture in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33. Now, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm right now in my Bible study, I'm reading through Ezekiel and it's like, oh Lord, let it end. <laughs> if, you, if you've read Ezekiel, it's just like more destruction, more heartache, more judgment, more, it just, it's a tough book to get through. But here we are for my message tonight. Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 10, it says, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Remember that phrase, how can we then live? Verse 11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And you kind of get a sense of what Ezekiel's all about there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have an opportunity once again to come before you to, to open our hearts to the, to the working of your word and the Holy Spirit in our lives and in, in our minds. Lord, I pray that this message would, would bring encouragement, that it would bring direction, that it would help people uh, just kind of look forward to the future that, that they have in you. And Lord God, that in all that takes place here, that the name of Jesus be lifted up above everything. We pray it in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Ezekiel 3.10 contains, I think, what is the most intelligent question a sinner can ask. You know, there's not a lot of benefit in knowing all the answers if you're always asking all the wrong questions. The right questions are important. Life is full of questions. It's difficult to find the right answers for your life if you don't ask the right questions. So let's, let's read this verse, verse 10, the very right question that it asks, where it says, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, the heavy weight that just lays on us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live. You know, sin is a cancer that eats away at the soul. We're against sin, right? Are you with me? Good, good. I think Billy Sunday said it best. I always like to, to quote him when he talks about sin. He had the right attitude. He said this. He said, I'm against sin. As long as I have a fist, I'll fight it. As long as I have a foot, I'll kick it. As long as I have uh, teeth, I'll bite it. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it until it goes away into perdition and I go away into glory. That's the way we ought to be about sin. Don't tolerate it. Don't, don't coddle it even in your own life a little bit because it's fun now and then. Hate it. Hate it like God hates it. Can we agree on that? Yeah. yeah. We are against sin, and if we're voting, I'm putting both hands up. Hallelujah. Now, the good news is, of course, is we have found a remedy. We have found Jesus. When it says this, how can we then live? Well, the answer is Jesus. 
Jesus came and gave us life. Jesus came and saved us from our sin. He lifted that burden off of us. Praise the Lord. So for us, our transgressions and sin no longer lie on us. We're not pining away in sin anymore. That issue has been settled through the Savior and the salvation that he's provided. So now that question, I want to I still look at that question, but it takes on a different form, a different context now, because we know that we can live, that we, we can live because of Jesus. But how can we then live? Now that we have Jesus, how now should we be living? We've been saved from sin, but you know, at, at that point, a lot of people figure that the task is done. That's all there is to it. But I say, we have only just begun. We have only just begun. Jesus came to redeem us from sin and death that we might have life. Life. Being cleansed from, from the stain of sin is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But do you have life? Do you have life? Not just physical, and in fact, not even just eternal in that sense. I'm talking about in every sense, do you have life? The part of us that has the capacity to connect and, and to interact with God, our spirit, is it's dead when we are in our sin. That's before we're born again. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins <laughs> see when we were in our sin we weren't just bad we weren't just wicked we were dead we were we were dead before we were born again the essence of us our, our spirit was dead and it did not have the capacity to connect with god but in Christ Jesus, we are born again. And now we can have life. We can start to live. Praise the Lord. Sin has been defeated. But again, do you have life? Do you have life? And I, I don't mean religion, right? I mean real, satisfying, abundant life. That is the question. That's what we are asking. Now, let's look at the answer that God gives in verse 11. I've got to go back there. Get back to my, my first scripture. In verse 11, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn. I think it's interesting. It uses that twice. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? God certainly has no pleasure when wicked people die and go to hell. He is not happy to see that happen. And he also takes no pleasure in a wicked man living in spiritual death. Because there's nothing for God in that. God... God is frustrated by that, I believe, because an unsaved person 
can't fellowship with him. An unsaved person can't be led into the, to the, the purpose for which that person was created. God would rather that they turn from their ways and live. To have his intended life. Not, not to become religious. But you know, that's what sinners think that we're preaching. Turn from your sin and become religious. That is not what we're preaching. Verse 11 here, that term I, I, I pointed out, I think it's very interesting. It says, turn, turn. Two turns. We've got to turn twice. We've got to turn away from sin, and we've got to turn toward Jesus. We need to turn, turn. We talk about people getting saved. You know, the old timers used to call it being converted. When I got saved, I was converted. And that's true. Things changed, right? I'm no longer the creature I was before. I am a new creature. And when we turn, turn away from sin and turn towards Jesus, something very wonderful happens. We receive an infusion of the very life of God. What does that do? Good question. The part of us that has the capacity to interact with God is suddenly brought to life. There is now life. We now have a connection and, and a flow between us and God. We have life. <laughs> oh, that's John 3.16 right there. We have life. I don't know what happened to you when you got saved, but that's what happened to me. I got life. I didn't become religious. I just came alive. I came alive. Before I turned, turned, <laughs> no one would have pointed to me and said, that guy, he's got preacher potential. I think he could be a pastor. Nobody would have said that. I was a nice enough guy, but I tell you what, I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body. I was an atheist. You guys know that. And so no one would have looked at me and, and thought that at all. I didn't get here by turning and becoming religious. I got here by living through the life of God in me, through the process of life that started when I came to him. Hallelujah. Now that we have life, well, that leads us to the next big question. Now that we have life, how should we live? How should we live? For the Christian, I think this is possibly the most relevant question that we could ask. As it puts it in, in Ezekiel here, how can we then live? I've turned, turned. Now, how can I live? How should I live? I can't cover everything in one little sermon, but I am going to get you moving in the right direction on how we can live. In fact, my, my message is entitled, How Can We Then Live? I know there are born-again Christians that still don't know how to live. They still don't, and they haven't figured it out. And I'm, tonight I'm going to touch on four cornerstones of real living. They have the capacity to change how you live. And you, you have the capacity to change, but because you have the life of God in you. But a lot of people, you know, they don't have that revelation. They don't have that understanding. They don't have the knowledge. So we're going to learn a little bit tonight. How can we then live? Number one, 
we can live by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. By faith. By faith. By faith. Four times it says the just shall live by faith. We don't have to wait for some special event to come along. We can begin living by faith right now. Today is special enough. Let's begin living by faith. You know, we can, we can decide that from this point on, we are going to live by faith and that things are going to be better. Things are going to be different. Don't be confused. There are a lot of Christians who really don't know how to live by faith. You know, in my early Christian walk, I didn't know how to live by faith. I lived, you know, in the, in the knowledge of Jesus as my Savior, and I had faith in that. But I did not know how to live an active faith life. I had to learn how to live by faith. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And I'm still learning how to apply what I am learning. If that makes sense to you. Many Christians believe that as long as they have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have all they need. They have it all. And that's just not true. I mean, if we don't apply an act of faith, even though we may be saved from hell, we'll still be depressed and we'll still be defeated in this life. Don't want that. If we're going to have real life, we've got to learn to live by faith. If we don't, we're never going to be all that God intended us to be, all that God has for us, all that, all that God has planned for you and, and, and how he has prepared you and your personality and all of the giftings that you have. All of that, you can be a very gifted person and really fall short of what God's intention was because you don't take it to the next level by faith. There's only so much you can do in your own human capabilities. It's what faith can do in you that will take you to the level that God has desired and planned for your life. Each one of us, we've talked about this often, each one of us has so much potential that God has already poured into us if we could just by faith bring it out. Man. If we're going to have real life, we've got to learn by faith. Real life. Living by faith is living by the word. Living by the word. I've often said this. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what God's will is, you can't operate in faith. What are you believing for? I mean, you can make stuff up on your own and have faith for whatever your own thought and idea is. But if, if God's not behind it, if it's not based on God's word, if it isn't something that he's already expressly uh, put before you as his will, you have no real anything to stand on as far as faith goes. So you've got to get into the word. You've got to understand what God's desire and his plans are, what his will is. And the amazing thing is he lays it all out. <laughs> now, there is a little part of us that has to do a little searching. We have to do a little digging, right? He's, he's not going to just throw it out there for the casual passerby. It's going to be those who are interested and who are going to invest their lives in following after him. So get into the word. And if when, when you get into the word and you begin to understand what his desire and his will is, what his plan is, then you can actually begin to believe for those things. 
You can begin to live by faith. I got to move on. Number two, how then can we live? We can live with an eye on eternity. An eye on eternity. If we live for this life only, we won't live life right. This life is only a small segment. And, and you know, what we do, the, this is not really, it, it, this is not like a, uh, an episode of, of Home Improvement Network where, you know, we're just figuring out how to live a nicer life, how to, how to avoid problems, how to, how to just be a happier family. I'm all in favor of having nicer homes and, and loving families, but our life has to count for more than that. I mean, I know that some people, that's their only goal. As long as I can just be happy, me and my family, live in a nice home, not be threatened by any mean or, or terrible people. If that's all, that's the wonderful thing. That's the life that God wants for me. Well, it is to the degree, but there is so much more that God wants for you, and it's not going to happen by just being happy. By being happy and content with what we have in this life. We need to push more, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying even from the pulpit, we need to push more than just a well-compiled list of self-help principles. Thank God that's not what this church is all about. <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot more than just how to have a better Sunday afternoon. You know, th this, is, this is some heavy-duty stuff you're getting here. We've got to be more from, from, you know, the leadership of the church more than Dr. Phil with the Bible. And it's, I'm, it's, that's really sometimes what church is for some people. And I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about all of us. All of us need to deal with the issues of eternity, of heaven and hell. This is important. And I know you're not supposed to talk about hell in church these days because, you know, they'll tell you, the experts say if you do, you'll, you'll scare people away. It turns people off. Well, we have to deal with the issues of eternity. You know, this, this is not just a support group for better living. This is reality. As long as heaven and hell are realities, and they are, they haven't passed away, we need to have an eye on eternity. How then shall we live with an eye on eternity? And you may be thinking, well, I, I've settled heaven and hell. That issue is already settled in my heart. Why do I need to be concerned with eternity? Well, what about the judgment seat of Christ? Yep. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, if you thought getting saved meant that you didn't have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, you missed a few lessons in Theology 101. We all will stand before Christ. Now, only saved people go to the judgment seat of Christ. It's a personal evaluation of your life by our Lord and Savior. Think about that. That's a sobering thought. I mean, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to review in detail every one of our lives. 
We need to be thinking now. What would you want that episode to be like? What, what do we want to see happen when we're standing before Christ? Now, I don't want you to be concerned. If, if you make it to the judgment seat of Christ, don't worry. You are saved. You're going to heaven. But you know, I don't want to be just saved barely. I want to be saved and excited about it. I don't want to just, you know, slip into the back door of heaven. I want to be strong and bold in all that happens. The Bible talks about rewards, you know. Yep. Well, I'm not really interested in the rewards. <laughs> Don't be foolish. You will be interested in rewards. I mean, after all, this is God. You know, he's not just handing out $5 gift cards to Quick Trip here. We're talking real rewards. We're talking things that you are interested. There will be rewards, and trust me, you will want them. If we have our eye on eternity, we will live differently. We will see others differently. We will, we, we will love others differently. We will be concerned about others. We'll preach the gospel if we have our eye on eternity. Our prayer should be, Lord, make my life count for eternity. Not just this life. Make my life count for eternity. So how can we then live? Number three. This one might surprise you. We can enjoy life. That's a good news. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning as I grow older, and I hope wiser, to try and enjoy life more. I stay very busy. I do a lot of things. And sometimes I can get wrapped up in, in work, church work, work work, work around the house, all of that stuff. And I am trying to, to work my way into more enjoyable activities. You know, some serious Christians think enjoying, enjoying life is, is for the wimps, is, you know, for the weaklings. To them, this life has to be hard work and toil and suffering until Jesus returns. Well, 1 Timothy 6.17 paints a, a different picture. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. Now, there, there is clearly in Scripture the promise that there will also be suffering. There will be times of suffering because you're going to carry your cross along with Jesus. But there are also times of joy, unspeakable joy and full of glory. There's, you could enjoy some, I tell you what, there are times to be intense about eternity, right? My God, there are people dying and going to hell. We must do something. But we also must have balance in our life. Yep. As God blesses you, embrace the good things that he's provided for you. The good things that he has provided, not just for you, for your family, but for your enjoyment. There's got to be some joy in this life because it's the life of God. 
Amen? It's the life that Jesus has given us. So, you know, pray, witness, work hard for the kingdom, and also take time for fun. Enjoy life. I, I, you know, for me, a lot of times, working hard for the kingdom is my fun. <laughs> but, you know, that's me. I like doing other things too. So how then can we live? Or how can we then live? Number four, we can live loving people and making friends. Live loving people and making friends. John 15, starting in verse 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his, his crucifixion. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than he lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Friends. Good stuff. You need friends. And and. We want you to have friends here on earth. We want you to have... That's why we have small groups. Really. That's why we have men's groups. That's why we have women's groups. That's why we have youth groups. Why do we have youth groups? So that they have friends that they can relate to. So that they can get to know better. Why do we have fellowship activities? So that you can make more friends. We want you to have friends. Many of the things that we do at Visible Church, have a primary goal of providing you with ways that you can connect with other people so that you have friends. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider one another to stir up love. There's the love. Stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, it's hard to be a friend in isolation. It's a lot easier to make friends when you gather together. Mm -hmm. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Friends. If you felt like you don't really have that many friends, this is a good place to make friends. And I'll... This is going to maybe come across the wrong way, you might think, oh, he's just saying that because he wants us to do stuff. <laughs> I want you to have friends. I have found, and I'm, I'm not, well, I'll just say, I have found the people I am closest to are the people that I work with. I don't mean my secular job. I mean, you know, my, some of my very best friends in this church work in that tech booth. Why? Because we are back there together. We're working together. We're, we're, we're striving for a, a goal. We're all learning and, and, and finding out how things work. They're some of my best friends in this church because I hang out with them more. I know a lot of people say, well, I just can't ever make friends. Well, when's the last time you showed up for CIA? When's the last time you showed up for small groups? 
When's the last time you, you, you know, showed up when we do the road cleanup on the side of the highway thing in the springtime? Or, or you know, when you get together with other people for a shared purpose and, and a goal, you just naturally make friends. It's a good thing. So if, if you're feeling like you don't have very many friends in the church, get more involved. Find a task that we need help in. Fusion Fire is going to be a great friend-making time because <laughs> we're going to need a lot of volunteers. A lot of people will get together and be a part of this. And you pray together and you work together. And before long, you get to know each other better and you have friends. That's how we need to live life. The right kind of friends. I tell you, if you come and, and you hang out with this group of people, you will have the right kind of friends. See, if we don't understand friendship, we're missing it. At the heart of all scripture is covenant. Yep. And at the heart of covenant is friendship. The covenant that we have is actually called a strong friendship. So if we don't understand friendship, well, we don't understand covenant. And if we don't understand covenant, we just don't understand. It's that important. It's that important. Friendship is very, very, very important. When the Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, I don't just say, praise God, that is Jesus. I also say, I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be that kind of friend, the kind of friend that Jesus is. See, I, I want you to be able to say, you know, Pastor Bill, he's my friend. He'll stick with me, even closer than a brother. If my whole family were to desert me, Pastor Bill is still going to stand by me. He'll still be there. He'll be through thick and thin. See, once you've made a friend, you've really accomplished something. It's a valuable thing. And once you made a friend, don't blow it by getting mad at somebody and get offended about some little goofy thing. So many friendships split up because people get... <sighs> I tell you what, most of the time friendship is a lot more important than being right. Let's make friends. Let's treat them right. Let's be a good friend. Let's stick closer and closer So how can we live? We can live by faith. We can live with an eye on eternity. We can live enjoying the life that God has provided for us. The life that he is leading us into. The life that we get to share with others as we love people and make friends. Amen? All right. Like I said, can't cover it all, but a little, little bit to get you pointed in the right direction. That's how we live with the life of Christ in us. Amen. Well, God bless you for coming out, being a part of this church. Let's be friends. All right. God bless you. Fellowship a little bit. Be friendly. Love on one another. And then... Uh, 
Have yourself a good, safe drive home. God bless you. Yeah.